going to talk to you a little bit about church and what the church really ought to look like. The church has really changed through the years. Those of you who have been attending church for many years, you would be able to honestly say today that the church very, looks very different than it did years ago. And it's because society changes and it, it's because culture changes. And when culture changes, the church has to change in order to bring the word of God that never changes to the culture at a time and in a way that that culture can understand it. We cannot continue to do church today the way that we did 30, 40, 50 years ago. We can't do church the way that it was done 100 years ago. Now by that, I don't mean that we could just should let all the standards down. But there there are ways to be able to present the gospel of Jesus Christ in such a way that people can understand it and receive it and have transformation that takes place in their life. So today I want to talk to you about five expressions of the church. I want to begin by talking about five unhealthy expressions of the church. And then I want to talk to you about five healthy expressions of the church. What the church should not necessarily look like as opposed to what the church should look like. And so we're going to be uh, presenting a lot of scripture today in the course of the message. I don't have a scripture to begin with, but I'm going to give you scripture all throughout the message today. And at the end of the message today, we're going to come together and have prayer and have communion together uh, as we should. So let's talk first about... Uh, the five unhealthy expressions of the church. Now, let me explain to you why I'm using this word expressions. Because if we talk about the purpose of the church, then the purpose of the church is pretty much the same no matter what church you may be attending. Whatever church that you've been a part of, because God has given each of us a purpose that pretty much is the same. We're supposed to take the gospel into, into the world, preach that gospel, and allow that gospel to get into people's lives in such a way that it can bring transformation to them. So we've been all called to do those kinds of things. We don't have to pray about whether or not God wants us to minister to the widows. We don't have to pray about whether or not God wants us to minister to the orphans. We don't have to pray about whether or not God wants us to give our coat to those who are homeless and in need of a coat. We don't have to pray about those things because God has already given those commands to us in his word. So all we have to do then is take what God has already said and begin doing those things and knowing that as we do what he has asked us to do and called us to do, then we will be blessed and he will anoint us to be successful. But there are times that churches find one expression that they like better than the other expressions. And so the personality of the church changes in order to focus on that expression. So I begin with giving you five negative expressions of the church. And you may disagree with me, but let me bring it all together here in just a few moments. The first is what I will call the soul winning church. The soul winning church is... If the pastor sees his primary role as an evangelist, 
then the church becomes a soul-winning church. And this church is always reaching out to the lost, but they neglect the other four expressions. And therefore, while there are many people who get saved, very few of those who get saved ever become mature followers of Christ. Because after the big bang moment of salvation or praying through, there's nothing left for that church to do. They don't disciple. They don't love. They don't bring them into fellowship. They simply have expressions of salvation that never go beyond that event and that happening. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me. Uh, We are supposed to see people get saved when we present the gospel of Jesus Christ. But if all we do is get them to come forward in a church service and make a decision in an emotional moment uh, that says, okay, I got saved, but then we don't ever do anything else to help them along their journey, how many of you know we're going to be a very unhealthy church? Because those people who want to turn their lives over to Christ, they want to find out about the depth of serving him. They want a knowledge of what it means to become a follower of Christ. So we must be careful not only to be a soul winning church, but we must combine it with the other expressions as well. The other thing that churches like to, uh, to express and have is what I call the Experiencing God Church. Now, the Experiencing God Church is if the pastor's passion and gifts lie in the area of worship, he will instinctively lead the church to become what is sometimes called an experiencing God church. How many of you ever come to church before and you go, and you go home and you say, man, we had church today. I'm telling you, the preacher did not even get to preach today. I mean, from the very beginning, it, it was electricity, man. I, I, I was just amazed by, by what I felt at church. I, I was amazed at the feeling. I, I had chill bumps running up and down my spine. I, we had a Jericho march where we moved the chairs and we, we ran. Somebody fell out on the floor. It was a, man, it was quite an experience. Now, you know me well enough to know I love to experience the presence of God. But if that's all that we ever do in our relationship with Christ is just get tingly moments where we're happy and it all feels good, then we are not going to be a healthy church because we will not be equipped to do the things that God has called us to do. I love to have wonderful worship. I love to sing at the top of my lungs. I love to sing softly and with some some dynamic that comes into the song. I love to clap my hands in response to the word that says, clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. I love to lift my hands in the sky and give glory to God. But what I'm saying is, is that churches that are based strictly on this idea of experience experience are unhealthy churches. Not long ago, well, it's, been, it's been a few years back now, a church in northern Illinois named Willow Creek came out and gave a report on the first few years of their existence. When they began in, in, in the city where they are, they decided that they wanted to make unbelievers 
comfortable in their worship experience. And they started a movement among churches that we now refer to as the seeker-sensitive movement. In other words, you can come to church and relax because you're not going to be confronted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can come to church and relax because there will be no manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit within the body. We're going to have groups that appeal to the flesh and the things that you desire and the things that make you feel comfortable and the things that make you feel good, but we're not going to confront you with the reality of sin and the reality that is that there's a savior who can save you from that sin. We want everybody to feel good. We want everyone to experience what they experience without feeling any pressure at all. It's called the seeker sensitive movement. But here not long ago they came out with a report and they said they admitted we got it all wrong. We grew a very large church into the thousands of people. But when we began analyzing the work that we had done, we recognized the fact that the people who called our church home were very immature in their faith because we had not challenged them to live deeper in Christ. We had not challenged them to put away the things of the flesh. We had, cha- we had not challenged them to beat and defeat sin, but we had taught them how to manage sin in their lives. We taught them effectively how to feel good about church and to experience church, but we did not Teach them how to experience the fullness of God in a mature relationship with him. So there's the soul winning church that does nothing else but win souls. There's the experiencing God church which just want everybody to feel good. Then there's what we'll call the family reunion church. Well, we've got all of our friends here. We've got all of our family here. And as long as you feed me chicken and dumplings every now and then, and every now and then we just have a good family meal, and every now and then we just come together and have a good party, and every now and then we just come together and just pat each other on the back, then everything will be fine. Everything will be good. But listen, God did not call us to be a church that has the mindset of my four and no more. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe on him should not perish but have everlasting life. We cannot be one of those churches that say, well, you know, you don't really fit here. You're you're not the right color for this church. You're not the right age for this church. You're not of the right mindset for this church. You need to find some other place to worship. No, we must be a church that is inclusive of everyone so that they can hear the word of God, be confronted by the word of God, and be challenged to live differently than what the world says they should live. 
So we must be moved beyond that. I'm thankful that we have friends. I'm thankful that we have family. I'm thankful that I can know you personally. I'm thankful that I can fist bump you before and after church and call you my friend and my family member. But if all we ever do is fist bump one another and laugh at each other's jokes and smile at one another, then we're no better than the finest social club in Louisville. I'm thankful that God has given us a church that is open-armed to whosoever will. Then there is, fourthly, the classroom church. And all they ever do is teach. All they ever do is just give information. And just, here's some information for you to have. And if you'll take this and do something with it, then, then it will help you. And they don't ever allow the fullness of the Spirit of God to come alive in their spirit. Listen, knowledge is important. Wisdom is important. Learning is important. Teaching is important. But we must couple that with the moving of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives so that when we are interacting with the world that we live in, in that moment when we need to activate that knowledge and that wisdom, that the Spirit of God can come alive in us and bring that information back to our attention. But if all we ever do is just sit in classrooms, then we cannot be the effective and healthy church that God wants us to be. And then finally, that the unhealthy church mindset is the social conscience church. This is a church that is out to change the world. It is full of activists who are doers of the word, and it comes both in a liberal uh, and a conservative version. The liberal version tends to focus on the injustice of society, and the conservative version tends to focus on the moral decline in our society. How many of you have been watching the presidential uh, debates, anyone at all? Uh, you, you, you heard a little bit of it last night. You'll hear some more of it in the future as they debate whether or not they are conservative or liberal, whether they are for or against. Listen, we all have to take our stands from time to time, but it's often possible that a church can be so social-minded that we forget that it takes the Spirit of God to come into someone's life and change them. We're never going to change the world. Now, I know I just killed somebody's joy today. I know some of you are going to go home and say, ah, that pastor, he was in a foul mood today. Doesn't the scripture say in Acts chapter 17 uh, that they who have turned the world upside down have come here to listen? Here's what I'm trying to say to you. This world is not our home. God is not trying to establish this world uh, so that we can stay here forever. This, this world is on a crash course with eternity where Jesus Christ is going to come again one of these days and step out on the clouds in the eastern sky and the trump of God shall sound and those who are in Christ shall be caught up in the air together so that where he is we shall evermore be. We're not going to live on this earth forever. We're never going to get this world back to the days of Ronald Reagan. I hate to tell you that, 
that God is moving this society to a place that we will fall upon our faces and cry out to a holy God to bring redemption and righteousness into our lives. It is his plan. So I gave you those five expressions of unhealthy churches, and I want to clarify for you that none of these are in and of themselves bad things. What I'm trying to say is, is that when a church latches onto one of these expressions and does nothing else but express that mentality or that personality, they will never be the effective church that God has called them to be. But now I want to talk about you today. I've, I've put a little picture together for you that I want you to kind of focus on and see. And the way I want to approach this with you today is that I want to say to you that I love my church. I love spirit life. I am so proud of you. You know, I get people all the time coming up and patting me on the back and saying, Pastor, we love you and we're glad that you're here and and we're so excited that you guys are here and and leading us forward. And and I'm so grateful for those things. It it makes a difference. It it keeps me going. It inspires me. It, It helps me to want to dig deeper. But I want to say to you today that I am proud of you. I am thankful for you. I am grateful that God has assembled a group of believers who are excelling and expressing what God wants us to express in our community. And I want to give you five things this morning real quickly, that five reasons and five expressions for which I am proud of you. The first one at the top of the graph is this thing called worship. Romans chapter 12 And verse 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies. Can you say that? Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, in the King James Version, it says, which is your reasonable service. In other words, it's the least that you can do. For everything that God has done for you, for salvation, for deliverance, for healing, for forgiveness, for love, for all the things that he has done for you, the very least that you can do is to present yourself in worship. I'm so thankful that you have discovered that being a worshiper is not just limited to gathering together in a corporate setting. Yes, we worship. Yes, we sing. That's appropriate. Yes, we clap our hands. That's appropriate. Yes, we lift our hands unto the Lord. That's appropriate. Yes, we get loud sometimes. Yes, we get high uh, uh, with the cymbals and, and the sounding. Some of you get high in other ways, but we're going we're gonna to try not get to bring you out of that. But we, we, our worship rises to a, uh, to a height that our expression is full of joy and and loving kindness to the Lord. And we, we worship God. And that's appropriate, we're told. But what about when God asks us to do something that is not very comfortable? 
Think about Abraham who God came and said, I want you to leave everything that you've ever known and I want you to go to, go to a place that I, I'm not even going to show you until you go. And as you go, it will be revealed to you. He had to worship through obedience. I think about Esther who went into the king's palace and was willing to give up her life if necessary in order to fulfill her purpose in life. She was brought into the kingdom for that act of worship and she was willing to present her body unto the Lord. What, what, what about the, 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 the apostle Paul uh, who, who God uh, said, you know, you're going to have to give your life for me and he was willing to do so for the for the grace of God in his life worship is more than just singing a song it's more than tapping our feet it's more than clapping our hands but worship is when we present ourselves our our body our soul and our spirit to a God who is wanting to pour his spirit into us I'm thankful for a church that understands that I'm thankful that I am associated with a church that knows that worship is something that we do every moment of every day and that every word that we speak is a word that brings glory to God. Do you know that God is watching you? I love to think about the fact that God is cheering me on. Sometimes we used to, we, you know, in, in the old church, we were told God is watching you. But it was one of those attitudes of God's going to get you. Have you ever felt that in your life? God's going to get you. If you keep that up, God is going to get you. My mom used to put me at sleep at, to sleep at night by singing that old song. There's an all-seeing eye watching you. And we have this mentality that God is watching with this mentality that if you step out of line one time, I'm going to get you. But listen, God is not out to get you. He is cheering you on. He is rooting you on. He is pouring resources into your life that will come to you in the exact moment that you need it so that you can be successful. And as you move forward, you'll understand that the greatest act of worship is to give your bodies and to give your lives to Christ. I'm thankful for a church. I love my church because you understand the full meaning of what it is to be a worshiper. Secondly, I love my church because you know how to express scriptural fellowship. How many of you know that fellowship is not just about donuts? How many of you know that? This week, I, I went to the store to get a few, uh, some cupcakes for the kids in the daycare for Valentine's. And I was checking out, and I saw this little box off to the side. What are they called? Potchkeys? Is that what they're called? I didn't know that you were supposed to eat one of those before you start Lent. And that's what it is. What is it? Fat Tuesday, Fat Thursday, Fat Wednesday. I'm fat every day of the week, but whatever. You, you know, you're supposed to eat as much of that kind of stuff as you can before you give it up for Lent. Well, they were over there on the side, and apparently uh, they had just about sold out, so I bought a box of them, brought them home. I set them on the counter. I said, well, we need to try one of these. They were awful. They were absolutely terrible. I just want you to know that. I took a couple of bites, and I decided I did not want to waste my carbs 
on something like that. And so I, I haven't had any more of those. But you know, we in the church, we think fellowship and we think about donuts. We think about Krispy Kreme. We, we think about chicken and dumplings. We, we, we think about those kinds of things. We think about parties. We, we, we think about games that we play. We think, and all of that is a part of fellowship. But what scripture is talking about is less fellowship and more relationship. You see, when I see you coming, I'm thankful to you. I'm thankful that I have a relationship with you. I'm thankful that I can relate to you as the body of Christ in such a way that I can't relate to anyone else because there is a bond that brings us together in our fellowship. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 24 through 25, say, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Do you see what that says? It says that when we come to church, that we're supposed to come with this idea they are going to be blessed because I am here today. Not the mentality that the consumeristic church has that says, I am going to be blessed by, because I'm going. I'm going to be blessed by the music. I'm going to be blessed by the preaching. I'm going to be blessed by someone. That's not what it's saying here. It's saying that we should have such a mentality that when we walk in the building, we can come in and say, you are going to be blessed because I'm here. Because I have come to fulfill my righteous obligation to stir you up to good works and fellowship in Christ. I have come to be a blessing to you. I didn't come so that I could have my way. I didn't come so I could display an attitude. I didn't come so that I could cause division, but I came so that I could be a blessing to you and encourage you and lift you up. So I'm thankful for a church that knows that. I'm thankful for a group of people that know that not in an arrogant way, but in a realistic way, that because of the spirit of Christ that is in me, when I walk in the room, I possess a power and anointing to stir people up to good works. When Terry came in this morning, her shirt was tucked in. I don't know if you noticed that or not. She had it tucked in. She had a pretty belt buckle that was showing. But everybody started stirring her up. They said, you know what you do to us every time you come in? You, you pull our shirts out of our pants. You untuck our shirts for us. Said, if, if our shirts are tucked in, we come in. Terry says, untuck that shirt. So they started stirring her up. They started stirring her up, stirring her up. Here you come in here. You've got a shirt that's tucked in when you're all the time telling us to untuck ours. And I, I even took her side, didn't I? I said, hey, leave her alone. Mine's tucked in too. I tucked mine in so you could see my belt buckle. She has hers tucked in so that you can see hers. But you know what? They kept stirring the bucket and stirring the bucket and stirring the bucket. And the next time that I saw Terry, she had been to the bathroom and had untucked her shirt. And now she's walking around with a shirt that's untucked. Why? 
because there were people who stirred her to an action. Now, that is a funny way of saying it. But when I come in and when you come in and you see somebody who's having a hard time or having a bad day or having a difficult situation in their life, it is your responsibility to go over to them and wrap your arms of love around them and let them know that, listen, it may not be good right now, but with the power of God in your life, everything is going to be okay. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47 says, and they devoted themselves. Say devoted. That word devoted means they prioritized this in their lives. It was number one. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all of the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now think about that. Think about that dynamic for just a few moments. Here was a group of people, a congregation of people who loved one another so much that they were willing to say, look, if you have need in your life, you just let me know. If I have something that you have need of, then I will sell it and take the proceeds and give it to you. If there's some way that I can be helpful to you, then I will help you in whatever way that I can. They weren't against each other. They weren't trying to get their own way. They weren't trying to steal from one another. They weren't trying to upstage someone else. They wanted to be a part of a body and a congregation of believers who loved one another so much that they were willing to live in this atmosphere of fellowship. So today I say to you, I thank you for being a church like that. I thank you for being a church that loves your neighbor. I thank you for being a church that loves the person sitting to your right and to your left. I thank you for living in this perpetual state of fellowship. Thirdly, I want to thank you for pursuing the discipleship process. Matthew chapter 28 Verses 19 through 20 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. How many of you know that it's our responsibility to grow in our faith? It's our responsibility 
to become the individual that God wants us to be. And the only way we can do that is through learning. The only way that we can do that is by obtaining the wisdom of Scripture and combining it with the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Word of God is active. It is alive. It is doing a work in us. But if we don't ever associate ourselves with the Word of God, we will never grow in our faith. This year, I decided that I wanted to provide some resources to you, that I wanted to help you in your journey. I found out that we have some men in our church that while they love the Lord, they have no devotional life at all. They don't know what it is to open up the Word of God. They don't know what it is to read Scripture. They don't know what it is to open a book and put their face in it in an effort to obtain knowledge so that they can grow spiritually. And so we went and we got a devotional book written by Tony Dungy. And I I put it in your hands and here was the thing that I wanted more than anything else. I didn't want you suddenly to become the smartest man on earth. I was smart enough to realize that you weren't going to become intelligent uh, uh, in an amazing way in two or three days. But the one thing that I wanted to accomplish in your life was to create a system and a process in your life that would have you going to the Word of God every day so that God, by His Holy Spirit and through the words that have been written, could minister to you. At the beginning of the year, we talked about reading the Bible through in the year. I know some of you get put off by that. And I'm not asking you to do it if you don't feel like doing it. But here's the advantage to reading the Bible through in a year. It creates a discipline in your life that you need. If you don't ever pick up this book and eat the Word of God, you will never grow into the mature individual that God intends for you to be. You have to be immersed in His Word. Not once a week when the pastor's preaching. Not just once a a month or every three or four weeks. You've got to immerse yourself in the Word of God and what it says. I recently created a blog so that that you could have a daily devotion, so that you could read it, and so that you could receive. It, it, It doesn't take 10 minutes for you to read it. The point is, is that I'm not necessarily the wisest guy on the earth, but as your pastor, it's my responsibility to give you resources that will allow you to create disciplines in your life and so that you can become the man or woman that God has called you to be. And this happens through the discipleship process. Fourthly, we move now around the church. Thank you for being involved in ministry. I'm so thankful for those of you who care about others enough that you're willing to do things that will bring blessings into their lives. Matthew chapter 22 verses 37, 38, and 39 says, And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Think about that. We're called to love people 
that are around us. We're called to be the influencer in our realm of responsibility. We're called not to walk in and let others influence us, but to influence them with the love of Jesus Christ. And that can only happen when you do it intentionally. You have to make up your mind. You have to decide. How many of you husbands, just by way of asking, how many of you husbands got something for your wife for Valentine's Day? Can I see your hands? How many of you didn't? Well, they're having prayer in the altar here in just a few moments. You know, if you did, you had to do that intentionally. You had to make up your mind to know your wife well enough that you could get something that she would appreciate. To get a card that would speak to her. I heard a story just this week. In fact, it was on Facebook about these two individuals, a husband and a wife. They've been married for many years. And instead of buying each other a card, they just went to the store together. They stood in front of the cards for quite some time. He picked one out. She picked out another one. And then they exchanged the cards there in the store. When they were done, they put the card back in the rack and went home. So we're just going to throw it away anyway. Why should we pay for it? What I'm talking about is a mindset and an attitude that says... I need to bless somebody. I need to minister to someone. I need to find out what it is that this individual has need of. And then I need to be involved in ministry. I'm so thankful that we have a church full of people who do ministry in, in front and behind the scenes all the time. I really should not start naming names. And I'll miss somebody as sure as the world. But I'm talking about people who do little things around here that you don't even know about. I'm thinking about last night at 11 o'clock. I see the gym light on. And I'm looking out there to see and wondering if someone left the light on. And then it dawns on me that Keith is back there. And he's cleaning the gymnasium. And he's sweeping the floor so that he can get ready when the basketball league starts today. That it will be presentable to the, to the community when they come in. I'm talking about people who get up very early in the morning and come here and rehearse songs and sing songs and, and bless you and lead you in worship. I'm talking about people like Joyce who comes in every Wednesday at least 30 to 45 minutes before Wednesday night church and picks up candy wrappers off of the floor and restores the visitors cards and the tithing envelopes in the back of the chairs and, and she doesn't tell everybody and she doesn't go around and say look how good I am but she's faithful to the behind the scenes job that she is doing. I'm talking about people who do jobs around here that you don't know about. People who align doors and paint doors and who come in on Saturday and do jobs that nobody else really wants to do. They fix walls and put drywall and paint the walls and, and put doors in where doors need to be. They put lights in where they need to be. You may have noticed that on the back side of our church that it's very dark back there. It's because we're trying to get these lights fixed 
fixed so that they will do the job. I'm thankful for guys like Nick Polston, who's a certified electrician and can come in and take the lights down and work on them so that I don't have to electrocute myself when I try to get up and do it myself. I'm thankful for men and women who say, I have been called to more than just being a consumer at Spirit Life Church. I have been called to be involved in ministry. And then finally, and I'm closing this morning, I want to thank you for your commitment to evangelism. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 through 17 says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Here's what I want you to get. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Listen to this now. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience. So that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. We live in a world that seemingly has gone crazy. We live in a world that is so conflicting. We live in a world where everyone is on edge all the time. I did decide that I was going to watch the presidential debate last night, the GOP. And I personally, you may not have felt this way, but I personally kept thinking all throughout the debate, why don't we stop slamming each other and tearing each other down and causing division? And why don't we put our heads together in such a way that we can solve some of the problems that America is, is facing. But all we care about is what we think is best. And all we care about is whether or not we think this one lied and that one lied and whether or not this one was good and that one was not good and all those things. Listen, church, God has not called us to divisiveness. He has called us to unity and to unify those people in our circle of influence. The scripture says how beautiful it is when the brethren live together in unity. See, the only way that we can do that is when we come to a place where we put ourselves back so that someone else can be forward. I, I, you know, our words can be so strong sometimes. We can, we can say things often that rather than doing the good that we think we're going to do, that we put up a wall of division that prevents anyone from coming in. You know how I feel about this. We live in a time in our age where the church cannot just put a preacher up in the pulpit and let him pound his Bible and point his finger and say, you get right or you get left. 
We can't put signs on our marquees that say, if you think it's hot here, you just wait. Our world's not going to respond to that. Our world is not going to respond to a church that is going to get in someone's face and tell them how wrong they are. So what that means is, is that when people come into our church that are different than us, they have theological differences from us, we can either get in their face and tell them how wrong they are, or we can treat them with the love of Jesus Christ and pray that His love will break down that wall. We have gay people who attend our church. They say, ah. We have to open our arms and we have to speak the truth, but we must do it in love. We have people who live in ways that are contrary to Scripture. And we can put them out in the parking lot and say, don't come in here with that stuff. Or we can say, God loved you so much that even when you were in a state of living where you did not deserve His love, He loved you so much that He gave Himself for you so that you could have life. And so that you could have it abundantly. I'm thankful for a church that not only believes that, but lives it out. I remember when I was a kid, the church I was growing up in. I remember one day a young lady came in, and you may have heard me tell this before, but she came in the front door of church. She had hot pants on. How many of you remember what hot pants are? Anybody? Only two people know what. I know every man in this house knows what hot pants are. Hot pants. I've seen guys wear hot pants before. You remember back in the day when you did cut off blue jeans as for shorts? You know, these days we cut them off down here somewhere. Used to be we cut them off way up here. Don't do it, guys. You'll never win anyone to Jesus wearing hot pants, guys. I remember when the young lady walked in. I had not typically served on the greeters team, but I volunteered that day so that I could get to know her. Velvet they were. I still remember velvet. Kind of a tan color. And as I was on my way back there to greet this young lady and to share the love of Jesus with her, one of the older ladies in the church caught her and said, no, 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 uh-uh. You are not coming in here wearing those. She walked out the door and never 
came back again. And I've always wondered, I've always wondered what happened to that young lady. I've always wondered if there was a deep desire to see life transformation could change everything about her existence. And yet because of our preconceived ideas of what should and should not be, told her she wasn't welcome and never came back again. I am so grateful. I'm so in love with a church that is willing to say whosoever, if Jesus could do what he did for whosoever, then we can do what we need to do for whosoever so that they can know and love Jesus the way that I do. So can I say to you, thank you today. Thank you for being that kind of church. Thank you for being a church that knows how to worship. Thank you for being a church that understands the expression of fellowship. Thank you for being a church that understands that to be the person I need to be, I need to be discipled. I need to be willing to disciple others. Thank you for involving yourself in ministry to others. Thank you so much for being who you are. Because you are who you are, God is using this congregation in a mighty way. I want you to stand with me today if you will.